Oops, sorry. Wrong introduction. Let me find the right one. Oh, there it is. How's everybody doing? So today I'm just going to have a quick stream where I go over a recent article that I posted on Sacred Scripture and the Holy Trinity, and um, it's just going to be a brief sort of guide on how we interpret the various different verses uh, regarding God in relation to the Son and the Father. My son right now is currently trying to grab my laptop, so don't worry about him. If I happen to just fall over, that is why. Okay, so get out of here, buddy. He's got the little walker now, so he can go around, so he's he's trying to go towards me. <laughs> Good evening, impotent Thomist. Wow, okay, I see how it is. Okay, so... The um, article that the article is based off of a certain section from uh, Thomas's commentary on Boethius's De Trinitate, which is not usually a work that we go to. It is one of the responses. So, in his commentary on Boethius's De Trinitate, he brings forth the objection, basically, the kind of normy. Uh, Muslim or atheist or Unitarian objection that the Trinity is false because there is an inequality between the Father and the Son, as is stated in John 14, 28, that the Father is greater than I. So his response is really nice here because he provides us with a hermeneutic and a sort of categorization of how we can interpret different verses in the New Testament. And he brings them all from the Gospel of John, which is even more interesting. In order to interpret, um, in order to form our dogma, the Trinity, because if you read in, um, for example, Emery's uh, book on Thomas's doctrine of the Trinity, it's for St. Thomas, it was very important to get his Trinitarian doctrine from sacred scripture, especially from the Gospel of John, which is where he's going to really strike on. Because, um, as he says in one place, that we cannot say a single word about God unless it is in sacred scripture. So St. Thomas holds to a very strong uh, material sufficiency view, despite what others like to argue. And then also, I was I was going to do a stream on this, but I decided not to. But it's the same with uh, Blessed John Duns Scotus in his Ordinatio. He holds, at least it seems, a strong material sufficiency view of the forming of doctrine. Okay, let's get into it. So the three types. So first, there are certain passages which signify the unity of substance of the Father and the Son and their equality. So for example, in John 10:30, the Father and I are one. 
I'm sure throughout sacred scripture, you can uh, think of various statements from our Lord, especially, and then his apostles, where they are referred to being one in substance, uh, some sort of unification between the two. So these passages um, do not signify an absolute identity. And this is going to be a grave error that people have, especially, um, I see it all the time in the Orthodox and also in Muslims, is that when they are interpreting Trinitarian doctrine, when they think about um, the oneness of the Father and the Son, or the oneness of the Father and God, they're going to have a merely, they're going to think um, that this means an absolute identity, or they're going to think it means a merely nominal uh, distinction, which is going to be a distinction just in name, or a distinction with no basis in the thing. But that is not what we mean here. Because especially between the the Father and the Son, we would say that there would be a real distinction between the two. But what these passages signify are actually that the Father and the Son have one substance, and that they share the same Godhead. So um, in the usage of these passages, it will consistently um, interpreted, refute those who divide the essence, such as Tritheists or James White, and those who wish to argue for an inequality of the person, such as Arians. So these are the type of passages to bring up when the Jehovah's Witnesses come and knock on your door, because they're going to argue for an inequality of the persons. But really, in these type of verses, such as the Father and I are one, this is going to signify that um, equality of substance. But these passages are also abused. As you know, uh, the Sibelians, they will use such passages as the Father and I are one to say the Father and I are one person and to deny the real distinction of the persons. But what we have to what we uh, see, interestingly enough, in St. Thomas's overview of these passages is that um, when you have heretics abusing certain passages, um, they are going to be refuted by the other types of passages. So the Arians, they might point to the inequality passages and then uh, bring their doctrine out, the Sibelians, the equality uh, passages. You're going to have the, uh, the Tritheists bring up the difference passages. But the only way to consistently read these three types of passages without being refuted is going to be Orthodox Trinitarianism. So the way in which uh, we argue from sacred scripture we're not only going, we're not going to stay and fight with the Sibelian all the time with the Father and I are one. That's not what we're going to do. Those passages would signify unity of substance. That's not how we're going to argue from sacred scripture, but rather we're going to look through sacred scripture and see these various types of passages and these various uh, propositions that are brought forth. And that is how we are going to consistently have a system which is able to interpret all of these passages. So while um, our dogma certainly comes from sacred scripture, the dogma is the only way in which to, um, to interpret sacred scripture in a correct light. So they kind of feed back and forth into one another. So the second type of passages, let me see if there's anything, no debunking today. No, no, um, there is no debunking today. 
Um, I decide I don't know when the the next. I, I'm actually bringing on three three new guests that are gonna. It's gonna be like six of us, which is gonna do part two of um, David Erhan's stream against the Filioque. So that's gonna be very interesting. But we are going to debunk the heck out of them, the based Latin chads versus the cringe Greeks. We we will we will win. Okay, so let's look. The second type of passages. So second, there are other passages which signify that the father, the son is less than the father, such as the one quoted above, that the father is greater than I. This is also from John. Let me see this. John 14, 28. So that's going to be the one St. Thomas brings up specifically. So these are also uh, very useful. So this here does not signify superiority of essence, Rather, is be taken in the sense that the Father is greater than the Son according to his humanity. Or in the words of St. Paul, according insofar as he's taken on the form of the servant. So these are going to be, um, so this is going to be very important right here, is we have to recognize uh, while there's a single subject of predication, so um, uh, no matter what you say of, of our Lord, it's going to be said of God, the second person of the Trinity. We can speak according to his divinity and then according to his humanity because of the um, reality that there is a dual nature that the Son has when he has taken on and hypostatically united to himself a human nature. So these type of passages are, uh, they confirm to us the incarnation. Um, and then they are used by Catholics in their defense against those who de deny the truth of the incarnation. Uh, that can be many, 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 many uh, people. But these are abused by heretics such as Arians, but such are refuted by the first type. So when the Arian comes to your house, let's say the Jehovah's Witness comes to your house and says, look, it says in John 14. Yeah, I hear you, buddy. Don't worry. He's, he's trying to learn how to talk. So um, when the Arian comes to your house and says, look, the father is greater than I, you are debunked, get wrecked, you stupid Catholic. What you can point to is say, hey, I affirm that the father is greater than I. Here is the sense in which I interpret it, that the father is greater than the son according to his humanity due to the incarnation. And then they're going to say, well, uh, why would you interpret it in that sense? You say, hey, look, up here, John 1030, the same author says that the Father and I are one. So obviously, um, you can't be one with the Father and less than the Father in the same sense, so you must take these passages in different senses. Now, what are going to be the different senses you are going to take it in? Because the different senses I, are going to take, I am going to take it in is going to be something which is intelligible. That is, that the Father is greater than I, greater than I according to humanity, that the Father and I are one according to the nature of the divinity. So the, these having um, these categorizations always in your mind is going to be helpful with having uh, the Trinity not be something which is some obscure Nicene doctrine, which was um, which is made up by Constantine and imposed on the scriptures. But it's going to be something which comes organically from the scriptures when it comes to uh, being able to consistently interpret these uh, seemingly contradictory verses. So third, the third type of passage 
is explains the um, the sameness and also the distinction because this isn't going to be something that the Sibelian can um, can interpret. So, oh, buddy, nah, he's fine. Okay, so third of those passages which do not signify equality or inequality but procession. So these are going to signify distinction between the persons. Because if you just have the first and the second, you could still be a consistent Sibelian, I guess. You can still hold that the Father and I are one, and that the Father is greater than I when it comes according to the humanity, although this this itself does show distinction between the Father and the Son. So I don't know how the Sibelian would hold to this, but I guess they possibly could. But really... Um, the third is where the fullness of our Trinitarian doctrine is going to come in, because this is where we explain how uh, the first and the second can be true against the, um, the non-Trinitarians. So this is going to signify procession, so that the Son proceeds, or um, you, could, you could say technically begotten, because that is the type of procession that occurs with the Son. And it's going to be as a mental word proceeds from the mind. And then you can, if you read Rationibus Fide, uh, chapters three and four, that's going to uh, explain that for you. I won't go into detail about that. So he's going to proceed from the Father. And this is going to be as in John 5, 5 26. And this is one of the central Trinitarian texts. If you don't know John 5 26, uh, you're really missing out because this is really what. Um, solidifies in our mind the truth of uh, of the procession so as the father has life in himself so he hath given to his son also to have life in himself so the father has life in himself so this is a characteristic of the divinity to have life in yourself and then he has given to the son also to have life in himself so the son this signifies that the son must be god because um, in order to have life in yourself, you must be God. But this also signifies the mode in which this happens. It's something which is given. So um, the, the hypostasis of the Son is something which is generated from the Father. And it's the sharing of that one essence to be life in himself. Now, the tritheist might say, okay, there, uh, there's a second God which is generated. But this is refuted up here by the Father and I are one. So I hope, you, I hope you're under, beginning to understand how these three passages are used together. Because anytime there's some sort of excess or deficiency in the interpretation of one of these types of verses, you bring up the other one and say, hey, you, you can't interpret this consistently. So what this signifies is the truth that the Son is Deum de Deo. So the Son is God of God. First, that he is Deo, for to have life in himself is only a property of the divine nature. And second, that such is eternally communicated to him from the Father, for this divine attribute is given to the Son. And then these passages are used by Catholics in their defense against, first, those who deny that the Son is God. So this is, um, this is really good against the Arians, because the Arians are going to deny that the Son is God. Well, how can the Son have life in himself if he is not God, since that is a attribute of the divinity? And then it's also going to um, be against those who deny that the Son is begotten. It's going to be, hey, um, I guess, Sibelians. Sibelians really have a, have a hard time with this verse, being able to jump through the various hoops that they have to. Okay. 
So each of these passages verifies different aspects of the Catholic doctrine of the Trinity, because there is really, um, this is the way that you have to go about it. Some do the five propositions, which the five propositions are fine, but I I think uh, St. Thomas's way of going about it, the three types of verses, is going to be a lot more helpful. So since there is no chapter in sacred scripture, you have no like Romans uh, 17 about the Trinity. There, it doesn't exist. You have no like book of Trinitarian doctrine that exists. So you're going to have to do it in this piecemeal sort of fashion. And uh, also the incarnation. So interestingly, each of these are taken from the gospel according to St. John, as I mentioned, refuting any beliefs of contradiction or incoherence between the authors of scripture. So this is it. So uh, with the, with the Muslims, uh, this is very important because they're going to say that there's some sort of contradiction or incoherence when it comes to the New Testament. So if any of these passages stand alone, they may be interpreted in a heretical sense, as we said before. But when combined, the only reading is that there is one God, which comes from the first type of passage. So this refutes the tritheists. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Son proceeds from the Father, God from God, receiving from him the unified essence of God. So this is the third type of passage. And that the Son has in time taken on a human nature, and according to his humanity, which is going to be the second type, suffered, died, and was buried. So there you go. That is all I have for you. I guess the, the Trinity has been explained from sacred scripture in 17 minutes. Yes, the other Paul, a biblical Trinitarian. One of these times, I got to do a special, a special one where I add the like a fourth and a fifth type. I guess I really would only need a fourth type about the the Holy Spirit, because um, John's Gospel is very important with our um, pneumatology, which is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, and clearly teaches the filioque. Way, by the way, so don't at me. Um, and that is all I have for you. I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Oh yeah, it's Easter. Christ is risen. Alleluia, alleluia.